Hey everyone, Kwame here, and welcome to 8-Minute Idea Unpacked. Last Saturday, Saturday January 16, was National Nothing Day. I had never heard of it before, but was alerted to its existence by a friend who'd read about it in the local newspaper. On this non-official holiday, which falls on January 16 every year, participants are encouraged to not honour, not consider, and not celebrate anything. No one really knows exactly when the day came into being, but it is believed to have been created in 1973 by a San Francisco Examiner columnist named Harold Pullman Coffin. How fitting that someone with that surname should advocate doing nothing. He's believed to have grown tired of special interest groups labeling a litany of calendar events and liked the idea of a day on which we might celebrate the value of doing nothing. As a recovering workaholic, and having been aware of some post-2020 fatigue, I was keen to rise to this unexpected and unconventional challenge. I would in fact do nothing for a day, and it started off well. I didn't, for a change, plan any specific projects or aim to clear office surplus from my to-do list but rather just drifted in and out of relaxed thought, hoping to feel rested and refreshed by the end of the day. Well, to my surprise, by mid-afternoon, I noticed that far from feeling better, I was even more exhausted, and that what had started as a trickle of random thoughts had become a torrent of intense reflections on past experiences. Thankfully, by evening that cloud had lifted, finally yielding to a quiet clarity about where things now stood and what I would actually do next. This process wasn't in any way unpleasant. On the contrary, the experience was one of relief and release, and it didn't take long to figure out why. I had been holding my breath for four years. Between the coronavirus pandemic, which made a social and professional wasteland of most of 2020, and the long build-up to the U.S. presidential elections, which unfolded as a cancellation-ripe situation tragedy, I was really looking forward to 2021 as an opportunity to exhale. If you've never really paid attention to your exhalation, you can take a moment to try it now. I find that there's a moment just before you take a new breath, and just as you finish breathing out, that kind of feels balanced. Just before you feel the need to breathe, and while you're still at ease after the last breath, there's a pleasant but fleeting moment we enjoy over and over, without really appreciating it until it's delayed, even momentarily. Well, if experiences were air, I could certainly look back on a few important and enduring moments at which I've inhaled experiences and engaged with them, but then waited a long time arguably far too long, to exhale them again, let them go, and return to balance. And they were all experiences I couldn't fully process because they had inflicted drastic changes on what I had previously taken for granted and considered to be normal. So, for example, in 2016, late on election night in America, I braced myself for an abrupt and abrasive shift in the way the leadership of the free world would be embodied and experienced. 
Is it possible that on some psychological level I inhaled that night and have been waiting to exhale ever since? In March of last year, amid rising global numbers of COVID-19 cases, I braced myself for a traumatic threat to my entire way of life. Is it possible that in some way I inhaled in the spring and spent the remainder of 2020 internally immobilized, a deer in the headlights of life? I spent much of National Nothing Day observing that I clearly needed to release some long-standing tensions I had held on to. I had externalized the conditions for my return to balance. A vaccine, an election result. And in anticipation of those conditions, I had neglected to breathe out mentally, perhaps hoping that if I waited long enough, the next breath of experience I took through those airways would somehow be familiar again. Well, even on this historic and long-awaited day of change, I think it's fair to say that in both pandemic and political terms, this was an understandable but futile pursuit. I might have been hipper to this sooner had I remembered the Greek philosopher Heraclitus, who could have explained to me that trying to breathe familiar air is as pointless as trying to step into the same river twice. You can't do it, Kwame, he would have said, because ever newer waters flow on those who step into the same rivers, which was his poetic way of saying, everything changes, but so get used to it. Well, I wonder what Heraclitus would have thought were he able to look around today. Because while we all understand that water in the river of life is constantly changing, recent changes in world normalcy have been like meteor strikes, making what previously at least looked like a river unrecognizable. And popular references to the new and the next normal, I think, neither really do justice to the experience of those detonations, nor do they acknowledge our natural need to at least mourn the old normal, as a form of psychological exhalation before we take the next breath of unfamiliar and perhaps unsettling air. And when I say unsettling, I mean it, because taken as a whole, many of the things we've observed and experienced in the last months have historically been common aspects of wartime conditions. A rise in extremism and radicalization a threat to bastions of democracy and the rule of law, economic instability, enforced isolation, hundreds of thousands of deaths and casualties, constraints on mobility, and even the wearing of masks as a life-saving measure. I exaggerate a little for effect, but only a little. And in fact, if we were to describe our current environment using standard US military terminology, we could reasonably adopt the operational acronym VUCA, which stands for Volatile, Uncertain, Complex, and Ambiguous. After all, if the state of the world right now doesn't meet all those wartime definitions, then other words escape me. So it isn't surprising that under those conditions, and in the interests of restoring normalcy to our lives, Many of us have been grappling endlessly with what to do next. How to counteract volatility with stability, uncertainty with certainty, 
complexity with simplicity, and ambiguity with clarity. These are, of course, all useful analytic approaches to dealing with problematic situations. But what happens when, as for some, the key solutions lie so far outside our sphere of influence that we find ourselves powerless? The result can be what psychologists call analysis paralysis, a state in which, based on hidden or missing information, unpredictable events, complex options and serious consequences, we end up mentally indigested or indeed constipated by a myriad of shit-happen circumstances we simply can't resolve. And so we hold and wait. End of analogy. And while that kind of suspended animation may seem harmless, it's also true that in all our active, life-sustaining processes, eating, drinking, inhaling, the engagement and chemical processing phase is always followed by an equally essential but largely passive release and disengagement phase. Why then should the processing of experience be any different? So here's the point. On the mind-body continuum, we can wait to exhale, but not indefinitely, and ultimately only to our own detriment. And while it may be somehow satisfying to invest our time and energy holding on to challenging and changing experiences to figure out what to do in response, I think it's also worth remembering the full scope of our life process, the reward of release, and the capacity of nothing to be the beginning of everything. And that's your 8-Minute Idea Unpacked. Thanks for listening to this 8-Minute Idea Unpacked. Please subscribe or follow if you enjoyed it and look out for new episodes coming weekly. Till next time.